Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Remember Amos 3 says this, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And that means in every area of our life. You cannot go against the principles of God and expect success in your marriage. It will not happen. You say, well, here's my reasons, here's my... I just told you. Confess, get down before God, and ask Him to heal your marriage. We have to protect our marriage, and the only marriage manual that's really worth reading, full-time, is this one. If you've attended a number of churches during your lifetime, you've probably seen a number of different styles of worship. Some fellowships encourage demonstrative worship, others don't. But our worship to the Lord shouldn't be dictated by others. It has to come from our heart. The purpose is not to please people or to fit in with a group. It's to give glory to the Father. That also means that we shouldn't be a distraction to others because the focus should be on God. No matter what your outward expression, God can see your heart. Let your worship be for Him alone. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 15 verse 16 with today's study. had stayed on the, at Paris that night on a, at a hotel right on the airport grounds so we could easily fly out the next morning. We got up, we had a nice breakfast, and, and it was all included. It was wonderful. And, and uh, we went out to get on the, the bus. We're five minutes from the terminal. Well, there's two terminals in Paris, De Gaulle Airport, Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. They're five minutes apart, three minutes apart. We got on the bus. We went around, went to another hotel, headed off to Terminal 1. Well, we had to go from Terminal 2. So we got to Terminal 1, and the bus driver announces, this is Terminal 1. He can't hardly speak a word of English, but we got that much out of him. Well, all of us, there was myself, my wife, a couple other guys in the back, another gal, we just sat in the bus because we're going to Terminal 2. So I said, we're going to Terminal 2. Oh, no, this bus does not go to Terminal 2. So what do you mean this bus doesn't go to Terminal this bus only goes to Terminal 1. Now, to get back to the hotel, you had to go by, right by Terminal 2. <laughs> Would not go. So that's when I lost it. <laughs> How are we going to get to Terminal 2? We're going to be late for our plane. We're going to miss the connection. And so he couldn't speak English, and I couldn't speak French. And we had a wonderful time together. <laughs> So I finally had him, please call the hotel where we just came from. So we got the guy in there, and I, hello? Does not go to Terminal 2. Will not go to Terminal 2. Yes, I understand that part. I never could get through to him. So finally, we got some instructions. We had to get off at Terminal 1, go down to the basement. There was a little teeny shuttle that would take you over, and it ran every five minutes, and it was no big deal. But nobody would tell us that. So finally, we got there, and we got there about 10 minutes before they closed the flight. Just barely made it. And I had lost it on the bus. Not, not bad, just, just lost it. I had no cussing, whatever. I don't do that kind of stuff. I just, I just was angry 
that this guy, there was nothing on the bus that we could tell that said this didn't go to both terminals. You would think it would definitely go to both terminals. Well, when we got in line, the gal said, by the way, uh, you're confirmed, but your wife is not. (laughs) Okay, Lord, here we go. I said, now, wait a minute. And I've done a lot of traveling. So I was getting my story ready. She said that the flight is overbooked because Com Air has gone on strike back in the States. And you're flying back into Atlanta, and it's just a mess. And I said, you're overbooked? I said, would you like volunteers? And her eyes lit up. And so by all of that mess, we ended up getting bumped and getting $400 free tickets again. (laughs) And God was good. The key is, the reason we gone over to France is we were on free tickets from getting bumped the last time. (laughs) Praise God. It's all God. So that that almost paid for our tickets. And actually, in dollars, with income tax, way more than paid for our tickets. And we flew on a better plane back. It was wonderful. Now, I had to repent. (laughs) I didn't have to repent because we got the free tickets. I had to repent because I'd lost it. I was angry. Ever get that way? I thought I had a right to be angry. I did, but I, and I didn't handle myself really badly. I just, I could have handled it better. But God's still blessed. That's what grace is about. And see, this is what David's saying. In life, we blow it. Things happen. And you have to admit it. You have to be honest how you handled it. Now, often we say we did very well. When we don't, write it down. It's pretty ugly on paper, isn't it? When you write it, it's uglier than it was when you did it. Because you're looking at it. So, in verse 16, David tells the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers. To sing slow, dead songs. So it says? Joyful songs. Worship is to be joyful. Not irreverent, but joyful. Who in the world ever designed some of these things that says music and worship to God can't be joyful? Now, again, it's not a circus, but worship is joyful. Much of our lives is motivated by music. And it's a shame that many people can't understand that you and I were created to worship. And worship is to be joyful. David and the people in their lives were finally doing right. And when you do right, there's joy in your life. And it's exhibited through worship. Now, verses 17 through 22 just give you some other uh, people that are going to be part of all that worship. The musicians and so forth. But there's a key down in verse 22. His responsibility, Kenaniah, the Levite, who was in charge of the singing... He was the choir director. And it was his responsibility because he was what? Skillful at it. Worship is not only to be joyful, it's to be skillful. That means when you see the musicians up here and the sound people working with them, in here, the children's ministry, all the different areas, when you see all these people, what's happened? They just didn't walk up out of the audience. They've been practicing. They've been practicing hours for the glory of God. I'm glad that we present music that's skillful. And when you pray, 
Pray for the bands. When they practice, they're people just like you and I. I'm sure they're always perfect in their practices. At least when I'm here, they are. (laughs) Except for a few times. They need your prayers. Thank them for the time that they put in, the talent, the motives that they do, that we might have quality worship. That's what that was all about. Verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel commanded the units of a thousand. Units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Remember, they had left the, the ark there and he was being blessed with it. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the singers. And Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. And David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel, there's that unity again, brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Which, just picture it on the road. They were singing. There was a sound of ram's horns and trumpets and cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. Everybody had one purpose. There was joy. The ark was coming back. Verse 29. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Jerusalem, Michael, daughter of Saul, David's wife, watched from the window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating... She despised him in her heart. Keep your finger there. Turn back to 2 Samuel for a second. What you see happening here, this is just a reemphasizing of it. 2 Samuel 6, 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched her new window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, what's it say? Same exact thing. What happened? What happened was this. As the ark was carried along, David was in his priestly attire, a linen ephod. He sacrificed. The people did. They danced. They shouted for joy. Spontaneously, while David was doing this, he actually uncovered himself. That doesn't mean he was naked. It means he took off his royal garments and As he worshipped, he was like the common person on the street. Michael hated it. The king was too priestly to be a common person. But my friends, where did David start? In the fields as a little shepherd boy. You see what had happened? Saul's daughter, Michael, all those years when Saul didn't worship God, her heart had gotten hard toward God. This was evidence of it. So what we have is David just worshiping. He, he, he just distinguished himself. Look down in verse 20. You're in 2 Samuel 6. Look down in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. What he was doing was mingling and mixing with the people as an average person. Look at verse 21. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me 
rather than your father or anyone else from the house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. David says this to Michael. I wasn't doing it for you. I wasn't doing it for the common people. I was doing it for God. It was in my heart to worship God. Verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. It's important to see that David knew that worship was to be directed to God, not man-directed. There's a balance in our worship. Remember, David said he was worshiping from where? His heart. His heart. Now, that doesn't mean that when we're here, the outward expression should take over precedent of our hearts. David wasn't trying to be showy. He was just trying to relate to the people that were there. He was just one of them. And I think it's important when we worship. And that's why when we worship here, we want to worship so that we don't distract others. It doesn't mean you can't raise your hands. We do love to do that. But it does mean in our fellowship, we believe when you worship, the worship should be directed to who? To God. So personally... If people are running up and down the aisle or whatever, or making gestures that are very distractive to a new visitor that comes the first time and somebody's going like this just constantly in front, I don't have a problem if you want to do that at home because there's nobody there. Who cares how you worship at home? Seriously. But we have to be careful because if a new person just came and they can't even see the screen because we're just dancing all the time or whatever in the aisle, is that offensive to them? Sure. Does that mean you shouldn't worship like that? Sure. Here, home, do whatever you want. I'm way different at home. And you say, well, that's being two-faced. No, it isn't at all. I can be who I need to be at home because there's nobody there. Here, we just make sure people don't run up and down the aisle or whatever. Because the attraction then moved from God to who? Exactly right, the person. So we don't draw attention to ourselves. You just worship. That's not really ever a problem in this church because normally when you watch people worship, we got our eyes closed worshiping God anyway. One hand up, both hands up, doesn't matter. No hands up. It's not about the hands. It's about the... Exactly. Don't be misled. I remember being raised. You see these people just demonstrative with their worship. They look like the most holy people in the world. If you looked at their life during the week, sad. Sad. So it's of the heart. It's not about the outward thing. Verse 23 is an interesting verse. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, that doesn't mean that God cursed her. We don't really know totally, but there are many wonderful Bible commentators. Alan Redpath is one that says what happened here was this. David rebuked his wife. Because of that, he never slept with her again. He took it that far. And there are many commentators that believe this was the start 
of David's downfall. Because later, Bathsheba came into the picture. This was the start. David overreacted and went too far in his relationship with his wife. Didn't sleep with her again. Then when the temptation came, he fell. You know, the Bible speaks about this. Head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a moment. The Bible is very practical in its ways of understanding us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Actually, uh, verse 1 is a great verse. I remember teaching on that a long time ago. I love to have fun with that verse. It's good for a man not to marry, period. Thank you very much. This has been a nice study. Well, there's some balance to that, isn't there? Paul goes on and he says this. But since there is so much immorality... Each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now see, this verse, if the commentators are correct, wasn't written yet, but David didn't follow. He didn't follow that principle. Verse 4. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So Paul is saying this. When we get married, we have a responsibility to fulfill those natural, God-given sexual desires for our spouse. Sexuality is good. It's given by God. It's the way we show love to each other. It's also a way that we create our families to fulfill the initial commandment to replenish the earth. There needs to be fun and tenderness and mutual satisfaction in the sexual area. You see, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise the wife. Now, don't use those words. I will fill my my marital duty to you tonight. (laughs) If you do, you'll be in for counseling, and we don't have that much time. (laughs) Paul is trying to say that when we get married, we become one. My body belongs to my wife as well as myself, and we have a responsibility to, to please each other within balance, within reason, In a loving way in our homes. Verse 5. Do not deprive each other, and this means sexually, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So if you're going to have a situation where you're going to be fasting or praying over maybe a a son or daughter, or a financial situation, or moving to a new area or something, husband and wife get together and say, for the next four days, we're just going to pray about these situations. And instead of coming together sexually during that time, we're going to take that energy and that focus and move it to the problem that we're praying about. Notice 
It's mutual. It's mutual. The wife comes to the husband and the husband comes to the wife and they agree on it. It's not one saying, well, you know, I have this situation and for the next month, that's not what it's saying. It's mutual because we're together as a team. We become one. Notice it's not only mutual, but it's for a period of time. Why? So that you can devote yourself to prayer. Then read on. Then come together again. What does that mean? To come together and shake hands? No, it means sexually again. Sexual intercourse. Come together again at the end of this time. Why should you do that? So that Satan will not tempt you, David, with Bathsheba because of your lack of self-control. The Bible is very plain, very wise, and very upfront. Nothing shameful about what we read tonight. It's wonderful. We need to practice it. If you're here tonight, your husband and a wife, if there's a marital problem in the area of sex, you need to sit down and talk about it. Don't let it become something that divides you. Because Satan is always looking for a door to bring people down. And that's a powerful door in all of our lives. Either from abuse from either end. Too little, too much. Come before God. Ask for his wisdom. Confess between each other. Remember Amos 3 says this. Do two walk together? And as they have agreed to do so. And that means in every area of our life. You cannot go against the principles of God and expect success in your marriage. It will not happen. You say, well, here's my reasons. Here's my... I just told you. Confess. Get down before God and ask Him to heal your marriage. We have to protect our marriage. And the only marriage manual that's really worth reading full time is this one. And it covers it, as you already saw tonight, all. There's nothing it leaves out. It's there. Back to chapter 16, 1 Chronicles. This is a very interesting chapter. We're going to just skim parts of it because you could use this in your own devotions this week. The whole focus of this chapter is on God. It says, Then they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. And after David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. So the ark was brought into the tent. Worship was now expressed another way. It was expressed through burnt and fellowship offerings. Today, we worship also not only with music, but with personal sacrifice as well. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When Michael saw David rejoicing at the ark's return, she was displeased. It embarrassed her to see her kingly husband celebrating with such abandon. When she rebuked David, he was angry. His worship was for God and not anyone else. Pastor Mark asked us to consider our own worship. Is it for ourselves or others? 
When we have the wrong motives, our actions can instead be a distraction to others. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is MB2264. And today's text was taught from 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. Again, today's message number is 2264. And today's message was taught from 1 Chronicles chapters 15 and 16. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we conclude our study in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. It will be evident how David's worship and relationship with the Lord will be a powerful witness to the people. God is alive and David will encourage the people to give him the glory, to rejoice, worship and give thanks to his holy name. David, through his obedience, is a right example. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the book of First Chronicles. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 